Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Welcome back to another episode of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Holly Knoll, your host, and today I am interviewing Nancy Corsa. You guys, you are in for a story of a lifetime. She really breaks down her incredible story from cleaning Ozzy Osbourne's house to leading a global revolution in Black entrepreneurship within just a decade. Nancy was born in Italy to Ghanaian parents, and her journey shifted in high school in New Jersey, where a group of African-American students stood up against racism, altering her perspective on community and solidarity. She navigated across the country, which she'll tell you more about in the episode, but eventually she landed in Los Angeles with just 175 bucks, where she began her entrepreneurial path, cleaning houses. She was unaware of her client's fame, and she hustled to secure a stable life for herself and her mother as U.S. citizens. This experience molded her entrepreneurial mindset and solidified her determination. Nancy's worldview expanded as she became a flight attendant. She had learned seven languages and she eventually settled down in Charlotte, North Carolina. She witnessed wage disparities there for people of color and Nancy took action, aiding her colleagues. And she eventually founded Black Business Enterprises in 2015. BBE or Black Business Enterprises, their mission is to empower minority entrepreneurs on a global level, offering crucial resources like financial literacy, mentorship, and access to capital. With over 72,000 members in 32 countries, Nancy aims to impact a million lives through rigorous financial training and raising $4 million for larger grants. But beyond BBE, Nancy owns a home care agency. She conducts DEI training, mentors entrepreneurs, and hosts the popular Black Business Enterprises podcast and the Black Business Ball. Join me today as we unravel Nancy's remarkable journey, her dedication to empowering others, and her vision for a more equitable entrepreneurial landscape. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. I am thrilled to have you here today. And I think you have just an absolutely incredible story that I can't wait for listeners to hear straight from straight from you. So thank you for being here. And Tell us who you are. Yeah, so I'm Nancy Corsa. I'm the founder of Black Business Enterprises, amongst other businesses. And I'm just so happy to be here, Holly. Thanks for having me. Well, again, you've accomplished so much in your life. When we first met, we met through a a mutual friend here in the North Loop of Minneapolis and also where the home of Black Business Enterprises And it's also the home to a coffee shop that I adore, that we adore, and a brand new liquor wine shop. And so the owner, Jason, of of the wine shop introduced us and, you know, one business owner to another, he he was like, you have to meet Nancy. She's just wonderful. And she has an incredible story. 
So a couple of weeks ago, you and I sat down in your space at Black Business Enterprises, your gorgeously decorated space that you did all on your own from the from the studs practically. And you told me your story. And I was just so taken aback by everything that you've accomplished in your life, everything that you've kind of experienced when it comes to business and life and where you've lived and and kind of what brought you to where you are today. So I would just love for you to to tell us your story and kind of where let's start up by where the heck are you from? This is a good one. <laughs> so I was uh, born and raised in Italy to West African parents. My parents are originally from West Africa, Ghana, and they moved to Italy when they were 18 and 19. So myself and all my siblings were born uh, in the south of Italy, Napoli, uh, which is literally the mecca of Italy. And then we moved over to Milan when I was three years old. So that's my home. And that to me is so fascinating. As a, as a Minnesotan, there's, you know, this is a primarily like, it's not a very diverse state. Let's just say that. And when I met you and just, you know, listening to what you found, what you founded and the fact that you're from Italy, tell me what that was like growing up as an African in Italy. What, what was that like? I love this question. <laughs> you know, Italy, it's, it's a wonderful, brilliant place to grow up in. However, we were the only African family in my town for most of my life. And it was very, it was a very challenging time. Um, but it was definitely a good place to, a good place to grow up. Italians are very warm. Not at first, of course, because they want to make sure that they know who you are. And a lot of them had never seen black people at all. So it was very challenging integrating into the Italian family. But once they embraced us, they embraced us fully. It, it was just incredible. And um, I'm still very close to everyone there. It, I, how can I say this? My Italian godparents, even we talk weekly. So Italians are die hard. Ride or dies. Like once they accept you, it sounds like you're in for life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Once they accept you into the, I, I can't even call it. Once they accept you into the group, there is no going back. They are mm. ride or die and they love very hard. They, they're real, real big believers in family and unity. The entire neighborhood raised us. Mm. So you have a and whole Italian family in, in addition to your nuclear family. Huge, huge. And you know, Holly, what I love the most is, you know, we'll come back from school and we can walk into anybody's house with no, um, no warning and they'll feed us. Anyone's house, it didn't matter where, what, when. And everybody's, everybody was everyone's kids. Mm. <laughs> everybody raised us. And it, you know, they, they're, they were very, um, very serious about taking care of the whole neighborhood. And once we became part of that, it was, it was just wonderful. Of course, we had our adversities, you know, you have the people that just don't, they just don't want to accept you. And uh, I definitely have many stories of that, but the ones that did, they're, they're my family for life. So did you, um, I want to put a pin in that because I think just here, knowing your, a little bit of your story and what you've shared with me, it sounds like growing up in that type of environment our values that you've embraced to who you are today. I see that in what you've done in the community you've built. 
But I just have one question. Did you, did all the kids in the neighborhood then figure out who had like the best food and go to their house then first? And were some people's houses more packed than others because they had the good food? Like my mom, my mom, and I'm not even biased. Because, you know, Italian food is great, but imagine having Italian mixed with African food. Oh Our house was forever populated with every single neighborhood kid you could ever think of. It was it was magical and also annoying at the same time. <laughs> Everybody was always at our house. And, you know, just that warm embrace, you know, my mom was very big on. It's such a prideful thing uh, for anyone to try our native food that... Mm. Once people loved it, she she would purposely cook for the whole neighborhood. <laughs> so I think our house, even though it was the smallest, our house was definitely the most popular when it came to food. <laughs> I can see why. And now I'm guessing people are wondering, like, what was the dish your mom made for those of us not very familiar with African food or <laughs> from Ghana? Like, how, what what did how did that manifest itself with a mix of Italian? Like, what was your favorite? Definitely jollof rice. Jollof is it's so popular. I just, I actually just delivered some to one of my sponsors yesterday from popular request. It's yeah. a forever dish. So jalous rice, there's many, but that one is the number one staple that people still ask for today. What's in it? And I, I mean, I could talk forever about food, but now I'm really curious. Okay, what's in jalous Polly, rice? Polly, I love that you're a foodie. So jalous rice is really a, a, a rice that's made red. Uh, mm-hmm. with uh, tomatoes and lots of spices, not hot spices, but just very flavorful. They add lots of basil leaves to really soak into the rice meats, depending on what type of meat you like. But it's it's just very rich and vi- it's almost addictive. So I'm going to have to bring you some. Yes, I would love some. I, I'm my stomach is starting to grow, like, honestly, and just, <laughs> just thinking about that. No, I, I love food and I love foods of the world. And I think food talks so much about or food represents so much about people's culture and yep. it's a way to bring people together, like you've said. But this is not an episode about food, unfortunately, people. So <laughs> we, we're going to get we're going to get back on track here. OK, so you grew up in Italy. And at what point did you move to the U.S. or what was your what was your journey as you transitioned out of Italy, where did you guys go? Why did you go? Where did, where did you move to? Uh, when we first uh, decided to leave Italy and we left Italy, of course, uh, for better opportunities, you know, Italy, although a wonderful place to grow up, uh, for us, there, there just wasn't a future. Um, even though they loved us, it was very hard to find a job. And mind you, both my parents were college educated, but they couldn't find jobs in their field whatsoever. <laughs> you know, my mom, had to sew in a factory. And my dad got a little bit luckier. He was able to climb his, his way all the way up into uh, politics and activism and, and make a change for immigrants in Italy. So when we mm-hmm. left Italy in 2001, right before 9-11, we moved to Teaneck, New Jersey, which, which Holly, to this day, I'm like, can you imagine going from the beautiful Milan to New Jersey? <laughs> I... Culture shock doesn't even begin to describe the feeling. <laughs> well, I, I'm really only familiar with the Newark airport. I have not spent a lot of time in Jersey. So tell me what that was like as a young person migrating from Italy to New Jersey. What what did you notice first or what, what did you see? What stood out? Holly, I thought I fell into the matrix. So <laughs> what, what stood out was the noise. 
the noise. And I just remember everything being very gray. Of course, we we moved when it was a little colder, but everyone, everything was a little gray and there was a lot of noise. You know, Italy's more leisure, relaxed. There just isn't too much hustle and bustle. Everybody takes their time. And the moment we moved here, it was like a, it was a, it's unlike anything I ever experienced. Everybody was in a rush. Everybody was running. No one was like saying hello. I think that's the first thing that I noticed. And people were carrying food. The biggest thing that stuck out to me was how big the car were. I think that's the first thing I was like, whoa. I was so in shock at how gigantic everything was times two. And everything was just bigger. I almost felt like Alice in Wonderland and everything was just amplified and magnified. Because again, Italy, we have to have tiny cars. The roads are tiny. The fridge are tiny. Yeah, yeah. The, the fridges were maybe three, four feet. So when I got here, I was like, oh my God, everything is double the size. <laughs> uh, and and, and include, well, you know, yes. Yeah, I, I can see like, I just even now, like there's some things like when I go to Texas, everything is huge in Texas. Like the airport just goes on for miles. I'm like, how are we, how am I still in Texas? But no, I yeah. can imagine as a young person that, you know, coming here, there was a lot of change. So, so you were in New Jersey and then at some point you decide, I don't want to skim too much over the New Jersey adventure, but you have something very exciting that happens to you next in your life as you leave New Jersey and you go somewhere, where do you go and why do you go? What, what, you know, what, what makes you leave New Jersey and where do you go? Well, first, you know, 9-11 happened. We skipped to Italy, moved back. And then my mom decided that we, we had to move to Minnesota. Someone told her it would be a great place to grow up. And Holly, I kid you not, it was March of 2004, maybe. I don't remember, but we got here and there was snow everywhere. And I literally, a couple of days later, I was like, peace out, mom. I took a train. I took the Amtrak train and took the long route all the way to Hollywood, California. Because I was like, I'm not staying here. Because in my head, Holly, I was like, we can definitely, I can definitely do the same thing they do in movies. You know, I saw Eddie Murphy going to California and getting (laughs) famous in the movies. I can do that too. I'm just going to go to California and become famous. And how old were you at this time? At this time, I think I was 18, okay. bordering on 19. Yeah. So you moved to Minnesota from New Jersey and you're like, peace out, Minnesota. I'm not doing the snow. I am getting on a train because that's what they do in the movies. And I am headed out west to Hollywood because... With, no, with almost no money. With <laughs> no money because I want to be in the sun and have a new life. So you get yeah. to Hollywood. Well, then what? Like, wait, do you have a plan? Do you know where you're going to live and what you're going to do for a job? Do, is everything kind of set up ahead of time? Well, so no... I know where this is going. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I think about it because I, I tell the story, but when I have to like reason with myself, it's like, wow, wow. So no, I got there and in my, yes, my plan was, I had a solid plan, Holly. My plan was to get there and get famous. But little did I know. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. I mean, everybody does it, right? Little did I know, Holly, is that you actually need money. You have to get a hotel. You need food. And California was very expensive. So I got there to Union Station and realized that I did not have enough money for a one night stay in a hotel. <laughs> I ended up outside. And yeah, so I literally became a statistic. I was, I was outside homeless. And, but of course, I, 
I am very tenacious and I was like, I'll the long out here. What is this? So I started knocking on doors to see if someone would allow me to maybe clean their house. I just immediately thought about what can I do for someone that will allow me to earn pay. So I started uh, knocking on doors to see if anybody would let me clean their homes. I got the door shot in my face so many times until I met my fairy god angel who was this tiniest Asian lady that you could ever imagine. And she let me in. She let me clean her home, give me a hundred dollars. And she told all her neighbors about me. And she was so fascinated that I spoke Italian. And next thing you know, I'm cleaning 20 homes. Next thing you know, she's letting me stay with her, of course, super kind. Um, and she helped me. She helped me connect to everyone. And everybody just loved me because, you know, I'm a whole lot of fun. Uh, yes. And I was very uh, hardworking, of course. I, I knew that I had to earn my way into, into, first of all, not living outside, but also I wanted to, and maybe we skipped past this, but I was undocumented at this time because of 9-11. So I did not have my papers to work. I was still waiting and my paperwork was in limbo. So I needed to be able to save $10,000, which to me, back then felt like a million dollars. And I'm oh, in my gosh, teen. Yeah. yeah. And I was still a teenager, you know, 19. And I'm like, I have to, I have to save $10,000, not just for myself, but then another 10000 for my mom, 10000 for my sister, so we could become documented. So I was very motivated to work very, very hard and earn my keep, but also earn the money to be able to gain my freedom. So next thing you know, I have 40, 50 homes and now I can't handle all the homes by myself. <laughs> so I started driving at the home depot and there were many, many uh, Latinos and other immigrants uh, looking for work. So I started picking up all of these wonderful <laughs> youth and they were double my age, by the way. Um, but I carried myself like I was older. And back then, I'm pretty sure I lied about my age. But I told them I had work for them and they all followed me. They all followed me. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. But I had contracts to staff, uh, living housekeepers, living nanny, living chefs, gardeners. And next to you know, Ali, I, I kid you not, 200 homes. Oh, oh my God. At 19 years old, mm-hmm. um, you moved with no money to LA. You're homeless. You, Scrappy <laughs> is an understatement of what you did. You, like... I don't know, somehow cobbled together a business where fast forward, like how many months did this take? Like, like maybe less than a year, definitely. Because less I, than a year. Some reason, people are very fascinated. I speak Italian and I was black. So people were reaching out to me. And back then, remember, we had Craigslist. So I would have a Craigslist ad. And I kid you not, three, four months, I already have had over four dozen homes. And it just kept multiplying uh, from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So from word of mouth, it kept multiplying until I got to the gated community. The gated community, I was able to charge four times the price. And I personally got to clean the Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne's house. <laughs> Rum roll, so please. I, She's now yeah. in celebrities' homes cleaning. <laughs> and not just any celebrity. Like Ozzy Osbourne. Like TV star, rocker, like... Famous family, not just him. Like, okay, you're in his house. Yes, this is crazy. Now get this. I back then had no idea who these people were. Yeah, I just thought, oh, they they a lot of money. The house, the house is huge. But they were, for me personally, looking from Italians to Americans, I was like, 
these people are so strange. <laughs> I was a bit flabbergasted because the, the behavior was a little strange, right? So going from Italy to there, it was very strange, but very exciting. So I was, I was cleaning their homes. I got to clean Steve Harvey's home as well, among other Travis Barker. But again, back then I had no idea who they were. So they loved me because I was unfazed. I just wanted to make money and build my business and take care of myself. And now I'm staffing, living housekeeper. Now I don't have to clean anymore. And mm-hmm. I've saved enough money to get my own papers. Mm-hmm. And a house. Did you find a home? And I bought a home as well. <laughs> now imagine I bought, I bought that house cash before I even had a social. Mm. So no. So you guys, she bought a house in cash. Mm. She, you built this business cleaning over 200 homes, including celebrities' homes. Tell me at that point in your business, like what's the revenue like for 200 homes, having a staff? Like what, what are you making a year at this point? It had now gone to over over 200 homes and um, we had weekly people paying us weekly. I actually made a million, my first million, but don't worry, Holly, I spent it all. <laughs> don't worry. But now taking care of my family. Yeah. Yeah. The revenue was great. But because I was so young, I think I was 20 or 21 now. I was so young. So I didn't even realize like, wow, I make it money. <laughs> I just knew that, you know, I was in survival mode. So I had to, I had to save money for a lawyer. I had to send money to my family. I, I had to have a roof over my head. And back then I had to live almost an hour away from where where the most of the homes that we clean because California is very expensive. So I ended up getting a home all the way out in California under the business name. And it was, it was very exciting. And by then it still didn't click that I I was an entrepreneur. Like I was a business owner. I was just surviving, Mm -hmm. trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And and it sounds like you were having fun doing it. Like, would you say, was it fun for you like enjoying yourself? I was having the time of my life. Of course, I miss my family a lot. And, you know, it definitely makes you grow up very quickly when you have so many responsibilities. Because I had employees. I had employees and I had, you know, I had to make sure people were being paid, accounting properly. And I I had a lot of help, Holly. I would sit people down and ask me, ask them to help me balance the checkbook, help Mm -hmm. me figure out how to manage my money. And they were very... They were always very, very graceful and uh, they poured into me. And that's why I'm so big on financial literacy. But yes, I, I thrived. But the moment I got my social, things had to change. <laughs> things had to change. So I, I, when I finally got a lawyer, got my social, I dropped everything and was like, I'm a person now. I exist. I want to be a flight attendant. It's better, everyone. Hang in there. It just gets better. So I yep. left the business over to uh, one of the incredible um, Latino men that I was working with and hardest working humans I've ever met in my life. And uh, he still has that business to this day. <laughs> I cannot believe that. What's his name again? You said you told me his name last Ar- time. Yeah, Arturo. Uh, Arturo oh. Antonio. Arturo Antonio. Caballeros, something. He had like four or five names. Yeah. But the most honest, 
most hardworking man I've ever met in my life. And he was he was not in this country legally back then, just like myself, because of 9-11 freezing all paperwork. And now he is. And the business is still thriving and is still taking care of his family. And I just abandoned it. I just I walked away and he just but if I knew I would have probably sold it for a ton of money. But I think he definitely needed it. He needed that win. So I'm very glad that he carried it on for me. To all of the people that helped gave you a hand, the first woman who let you in her house, you were also able to give him a hand by, you know, giving him that business. And like, yeah, hindsight, like you're like, that was like a million dollar present. But like, I mean, like you've got some like that. That's like great karma right there. And, you know, being able to gift that to somebody and even though maybe you didn't look at it as a gift at the time, but like now looking back, like what an opportunity you gave him. Like, that's incredible. And okay. So you decided like, I'm going to be a flight attendant. Why did you want it? What was so attractive about you that the airlines loved? I love this. I love this part. My my dream, I always wanted to be a pilot or Mm. a uh, pilot mechanic, or I just love all things that have to do with mechanics. I'm great with my hands. I can fix anything. (laughs) Uh, So I actually, I I wanted to fly, but then they told me I needed licenses and the license to fly was like 50, 60,000. I was like, I don't have it. So and of course, because I had spent it all. So I decided to to become a flight attendant. I heard that if you spoke a lot of languages, you could travel the world. And imagine I was stuck without a social and not being able to go anywhere outside of the country or even back home for years. Hmm. So that little ticket to freedom, it just felt like li- extremely liberating. And mind you, I had to become an adult so quickly and be responsible for so many people and run a business and raise money that the thought of being able to just fly freely was so appealing to me. Liberating. Yeah. 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 So it's absolutely crazy, but that's what I did. (laughs) And the airline hired you right on the spot because of the languages you spoke, right? Like that was a huge, a huge selling point for you to get a job like so easily, right? Yeah, I moved back from California back to Minneapolis and Northwest Airlines before mm-hmm. I was Delta. They yeah. hired me on the spot. Once they learned that I spoke six languages back then, they immediately, I went through the training and then I was flying for a week later and I did mostly international and it was the best time of my life. Okay, so you guys... <laughs> I just, I, I just love your story. Okay. So you're not just an air, a flight attendant. You, you, when you're in these international cities, you told me like you needed something to do. Okay. Yeah, so how yeah. did you keep yourself quote unquote busy when you were traveling? What a great question, Holly. <laughs> so so the, this is the fun part, right? When you're flight attendant, you have a whole lot of fun. And I kid you not, they made no money back then. We were so poor, Holly. And imagine I went from the abundance of owning my own business and making a million dollars, making a million. And again, I I don't know. I don't know if I felt that million, but I definitely was very comfortable making $300 every paycheck every two weeks. And I was just in shock. I was like, wait a minute, I can't survive like this. So I thought about, okay, I 
first I was missing the entrepreneurial um, itch that I always had. And I was traveling in, in different hotels every night. And while I was flying, I was meeting some incredible people. So I thought, hmm, why don't I ask these hotels if I can start having some meetings? I would call them meetings at first. So every hotel would just invite people at the bar from the plane, from the airplane. I'll tell my customers, hey, what are you doing? You need to come. And of course, everybody seemed excited. Yeah, my passengers. She's inviting the passengers to come to her parties in X city. Yes. First class coach didn't matter. I, if they were flying there, you, I know you're not busy the whole time. And there were a lot of businessmen, uh, lots of people just going for graduations, wedding, whatever. I would invite them, come to the hotel. We can have some fun, get to know each other. And people were fascinated by pilots and flight attendants back then. So they would show up. And I, the first few ones were free. I, I didn't charge and the hotels didn't charge me as long as we meet, met a beverage minimum. Mm-hmm. And it would be networking. So I did all these fabulous networking events. And I remember, I remember watching a show. I think it was Pan Am. Yeah, it was called Pan Am. And it was about flight attendants. And people really revered flight attendants at these really cool entities. And so we wore our uniforms during these events. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's amazing. Then the, pilot want- the pilot did it. The pilot they thought it was cool, Holly. You're rocking your Northwest Airlines flight attendant outfit at these hotel parties and like being the bell of the ball. Did you announce it on the loudspeaker on the plane? Like, hey, everybody, after my party. I mean, probably not, I but I can just picture. You did? No, no, I did. I get reprimanded for it. But you know me. I think I, I got in trouble on a regular. But tell people like, hello, I'll give you my Delta, my well, Northwest. Hello, ladies gentlemen, thank you again for flying. Northwest flight number 1958 to Memphis, Tennessee. If you have no place to go this evening, we'll be having this networking event and we would love for you guys to join us. Thank you again for flying Northwest and have a great day. No <laughs> way. Absolutely. Oh and I was God. so careless. It, it was, but guess what? People, people came. Showed up. And, and, you know, obviously I'm a, a social butterfly. So I made a million friends mm-hmm. all the time, like on the flight, whether they came to the events or not, we were friends. And I should mm-hmm. probably tell you this one time I was flying and this family from Tel Aviv, Israel, they were very distressed. And I think they, they just had a really bad time. Mm-hmm. And I knew a few words. So I was, I thought a manishma, you know, and I just started speaking to them with the very few words that I learned from my brother's ex-wife. And they invited me to Tel Aviv. And guess what? I went. You went. Stranger. Amazing. Yeah. I went to Genevieve and slept on their couch. So that's that's that was my spirit back then. I felt very free and I wanted to just connect to humans. So these events, and I did them, I want to say maybe, maybe 40 to 50 cities. Mm-hmm. And people still to this day ask me about those events. Oh, I <laughs> I asked you, I asked if you were still friends with some of these people on social media. And your answer oh, was, yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. There are my people forever. I mean, we, there, there's some, there's some parties where whatever happened there stayed there, but they're my, they're my friends. <laughs> the passengers. Oh my God. This is, it's, this is wild. I love it. You just have a lot of like gumption and like 
give zero to like live your life. This is so yeah. inspiring. Okay. So why did you do? Okay. Eventually, because I want to get to black business enterprises, obviously it's a huge part of why you're here because I think that story is also fascinating. Okay. So when did you decide it was time to leave being a flight attendant and what did you do next? I wanted to be a flight attendant forever. I was living my dream. I had no intention on leaving, but I have an African mom, y'all. And she told me I had to get a real job. She just, she just partying around understand. the world. Yeah. She just didn't understand all these. She, she literally thought my job was partying around the world. She didn't understand that I actually had to work because all she saw were like pictures of me in Amsterdam partying with these people. And she just didn't understand that it was, um, I was building a large network around the world. So she said to get a real job and she didn't bring me to America to party. So. <laughs> you weren't partying in America. You were partying overseas. Just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Can you imagine if I said that? Oof, that would, oh, you probably would have sent me back. Yep. Yep. Another reprimand. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, so I did. My my brother back then worked for a bank and he convinced me to go work for the bank. And guys, I do not belong behind the desk, but I I I did it. And back then I had met my uh, now ex-husband. The I had I met him at the airline. So when I left, he wanted to become a pilot. So I used this new job at the bank to help him also help elevate him uh, and help him become a pilot. So he's Look a pilot. You. Yeah. Best so wife pres- ever. You're hooking him up with like his dream job, like way to take care of, like, take care of your people. It's always okay. forever. <laughs> always. So I, I started working for this bank. I um, My favorite part about this, of course, I didn't belong there, but Everybody no. has to go through that. I learned a lot of incredible skills that definitely helped me. But uh, I started as a banker in still Arizona. And the neighborhood was 100% white. And a lot of people didn't want to bank with me because, you know, of my skin color. And I just remember telling myself, like, wow, I don't belong here. However, while I'm here, I'm going to go as high as I can. So every single year, I told my boss, whatever boss it was, I'm going to have your job next year. And they would laugh in my face. Then the next year I would have their job. I made it a point to learn every single thing that they did so that I could, whether they got promoted or left, I could be in those shoes because I knew for a fact that I didn't want to be at the bottom of the food chain, but at the very top. So that's exactly what I did. I got a promotion every single year, nine promotions in 10 years, mm. all the way up to executive level. And again, didn't care for the job, didn't care about what I was doing for forever. But it was still important for me to make connections and learn as many skills as I could uh, to use it for something else. And my very last promotion, I had moved back to Minnesota from wherever I was. I moved a lot of places because of my ex-husband's um, uh, job. I went to my new building and they refused to let me into the building. And I I think it was the 18th or 19th floor. I That detail I could never nail down, but he refused to let me up to my floor because he said it was executives only. That's how I'm an executive. <laughs> and he refused to let me in. And um, that was the absolute catalyst, Holly, that made me decide 
to completely be defiant and figure out a way to own that building or create a space for people that look like me to not just elevate, but change the narrative mm. of whatever that man thought of us. Mm. Um, and it was, it was a defining moment for me, for sure. Mm. And, and so just reading between the lines and, and you did say a little bit about it, but the security guard of this floor was not going to let you in. You forgot your badge or, you know, couldn't get in. He was not about to let you in because of the color of your skin. And he thought that you were not being truthful about who you really were. And you wanted yeah. to get in for maybe an, uh, some alternative reason, you know, he, oh, okay. So yeah, that and I quote, you do not look like the, an executive. And I said, well, what does an executive look what like? Did, what did he say? Do you remember? He didn't respond. He just said, well, you're not coming in today. So I actually started working from then from that day because I refused to ever go back there. Um, yeah. But it definitely yeah. made me realize that he thought very little um, of people that look like me. So I wanted to figure out a way in a very defiant way, how do I elevate people that look like me so one day I can own that? Mm -hmm. So what did you do? I started Black Business Enterprises, which is, it, it is a place for people of color to get together, get resources, elevate, build their business and reach wealth. You know, when I moved to America, I realized that resources and uh, education and information, and I'm not talking about a bachelor degree, associate degree, absolutely not. I mean, real life education, like taxes and, you know, regular life things that they don't actually Things they teach don't teach you in school. Yeah. Those are the things that we needed in order to elevate. Because remember, if we rewind to my California days, when that woman sat me down to teach me how to manage my checkbook and taught me about insurance, that was more valuable than anything I've ever learned in my life. Because once I learned how to manage my money, I was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. You know, I was unstoppable. So, uh, and you again, I survived through being a flight attendant. I, I, I was able to make a budget to know that I wouldn't survive. So I had to start a networking group. It, side it hustle. Before incredible. side hustles were cool. Yes. I was side hustling before it was even a thing. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to create a place, a hub for people to find anything that they needed. And I tapped into my old network and somehow, some way, I am now in 48 states and 22 countries. And it you makes guys, me laugh every time I talk about it. Make this up. Like, it all the way back to your, like, like site attendant days and like LA days and like full circle back in Italy. Okay. So this is where I wanted to come to the like full circle. Like you, you grew up in Italy in this place where community is everything and family is everything. And you like have created family and community everywhere you've gone in your life. And then you're here right now today in this place where you have Black Business Enterprises in 48 states, which is a community of all communities for Black business owners. And like, my God, like, tell us more about it. Like, what exactly, what are some, what's one of your success stories within BBE? Can I call it BBE? Do you, cause it's absolutely, here. absolutely. That's our, that's, uh, that's how we call it. BBE, Black Business Enterprises. I have many, many wonderful stories. What's your favorite one that comes to mind that that's that come of this? My ultimate favorite has to be one of now who has become my one of my good friends, 
who started a Comcast. She was working a $12 an hour job with three kids and living on assistance, you know, housing assistant, food assistant. And it was, it just looked like it, would ne- it, would, it was never ending poverty. And finally she said, you know what? I want some help. So we gave her $600 back then um, to start a 245D home care assistance license. And that same woman turned it into $1.8 million today. And oh, she owns yeah. this uh, agency that sends people to people's homes to take care of them. And it's uh, governed by the uh, Department of Health Services. And she's killing it. She's the first person in her family ever to purchase a home. She's wow. the first person ever in her family to be able to pay for college for her kid. I mean, she's breaking every single statistic that you could ever imagine. And that's what I want to show people that, you know, what, well, my people want, like nobody wants to be destitute and not doing well. They want to also win at life. And sometimes they just need a leg up. So if I yes. go back to that security guard that wouldn't let me in, he was so used to seeing the poor side of us that he didn't even think that it would be a wealthier, whatever, a, a, a well Accomplished. Yeah. yeah. He couldn't even see that past his ignorance. So it was, it was very wonderful to see this I mean, even now, just watch her continue to thrive. She is just one of many, many, many success stories. And now she gives back to the community. And she's she's now open um, emergency transportation services in Chicago and now is working on opening a facility in Arizona. And this is from someone that started, like we like to say, from the bottom. And it's uh, it literally keeps me going every single day, every day. I mean, you're in 48 states, you're able to make the ripple effect that you have and the power of community in 48 state and like how that multiplies out is is incredible. And just the potential of this group and the potential for our communities and, and you know, Black business owners or aspiring Black business owners out there this, that you're giving them this opportunity and you're an example of how you can succeed and helping people see it's possible is just sometimes all someone needs, especially if they didn't grow up with a role model who's doing what they want to do now. Mm-hmm. And tell me about how you said, there's a couple of things on my mind. You said something really interesting to me last time we talked it that I hadn't considered. And it's my ignorance. And you said something around how like there's a perception that white people or non-black people, business owners have all the secrets or know something more. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and how BBE yeah. is about solving that for that mindset yeah. or that, that that perception? Yes, absolutely. For some reason, um, I mean, well, the, I know I know some of the reasons, but uh, there is a perception that uh, all of our non-Black friends have secrets that we don't know. And that's why I, a lot of our communities are still behind, whether that's true or not. I wanted to bridge that gap and bring all of my very well-to-do, very kind friends in to bring knowledge. And um, there's so many people doing very well at BBE. One thing that I really wanted, wanted to eradicate is people not selling to us because they think that there's no money in our community when it's the, it's the opposite. Um, and also sharing whatever knowledge that that you may have with my community so that they can feel like it's not just allies, it's the entire community wanting them to do well. And there's no gatekeeping or secret keeping. This is what I know. 
and I, but I also had to learn it. So my goal is to bring people in the same rooms so that we can kind of dispel all of the, uh, all of these myths, non-myths, whatever it may be, so that we can bring us together because we are more powerful together. I have witnessed it myself. You are a I testament to spread that. Yeah, yes, most definitely. Yes. And and just finally, you know, you gave me a magazine when when I left your your office and it was the BBE magazine and I've been looking through it and I've been reading the stories and looking at the photos of all the beautiful people that have started these incredible businesses and like I think it is not recognized enough or it's not in people's heads enough the amount of power and the amount of influence that the black population has in this community and in our communities and the amount of contributions and the ways that you're improving the lives for everyone as you know as a black population and i think that's not talked about or celebrated enough and so you do the black you do the black business the bbe ball every year where you where you celebrate and i love and i think that's so important because it there's all these businesses that i i use and i'm like that's owned by a black person that's that makes me want to go and support more and and just i'm like that's that makes me excited to see there's a diverse group of people in our communities that are business owners so what do you think about about that and celebrating i always I always want to celebrate people because I realize the littlest bit of encouragement can change someone's life. Yeah. So just clapping for them, just taking five minutes to clap for them is literally the spice of life for me. Because I've seen people completely failing, giving up on their business businesses and then receiving a little bit of encouragement and fully being reinvigorated and ready to take over the world. That's what I want to do. And in order to do that, I need everyone to come together and celebrate these people. Hence why I do uh, uh, business showers. Business showers, I bring any new business. And and again, you know, I'm the queen of parties. And I invite people to network and come and shower that business with love and new business. So I love that you said it makes you want to support more because all I I want to give is the same opportunities as everyone else, right? And as you know, a lot of white men shake hands on the golf course to make deals. Oh, yes. What about yes. the rest of us? I know. What about the I- rest, right? <laughs> that's what I want to mm-hmm. kill. I want to kill that culture of, I know this person. And and unfortunately, that's how it's, it's always been, right? People are shaking hands to make deals. But for those of us that don't have those privileges of knowing people, then we never get anywhere. Uh, hence why I do the ball and invite very well to do people so that my community can also get access to a completely different network of people that can also help them elevate. That's amazing. And and so we can shake our own hands in different places that don't happen to be a golf course or a boardroom. It, it can be our own boardrooms or our own version of a golf course. And I'm very passionate about that for women as, as well. You know, we're, we're not necessarily out on the golf courses and doing the deals and like, but I've been so surprised the more I get into business and it's just realizing all these micro communities of people that are like-minded and not exactly alike, but just like-minded that are creating their own networks and are putting those boys clubs 
like out of the picture. Like, we don't need you. We got our own community. If you want to join our community, you can, but we're not going to try and get into yours anymore because we're creating what we wished existed. And I see you that in you, you created mm-hmm. what you wished existed. So how can we get involved? How can listeners get involved? How can we support BBE? How can we even just change our day-to-day a little bit and shift to be more mindful of supporting people in our communities? What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. So the first thing is cancel politically, uh, being politically correct, right? A lot of the last couple of years, it's made people afraid to speak and afraid to, like people don't know, can I say black? Can I, you know, I, I'll cancel that, cancel that. I want you to be yourself around your black, friends. I want you to be yourself around the communities because uh, someone that will care will simply correct you. Uh, and I think the reason why I'm saying that is a lot of people are not coming around those spaces because they feel afraid. They don't want to be labeled or they don't want to say the wrong thing and then be uh, canceled. The cancel culture or extra communicated. Yep, and be so that's the first thing I need to get. Yeah. yeah and be embarrassed. Yeah. So we, we want to yep. cancel that cancel culture. We want to we be able to undo what's been done the last couple of years, which I think has been actually detrimental in the Black community and other communities getting together. Uh, everybody is like on high alert all the time. So we want to kind of undo that. The second thing is, and, and the second thing can be done unless the first thing is done. The second thing is network with people that don't look like you but, and do it meaningfully so. Come to our event, other event, anybody's event, because my network is so rich. But because I have every color under the sun, native, Hmong, Latino, of course, I'm lucky. I speak seven languages, so I can infiltrate <laughs> absolutely any community. Um, <laughs> I, I think you can go to the adults, FBI next or the CIA next. <laughs> I will infiltrate. But it just be in different spaces because you, first of all, you need, you always need seasoning in your life always and seasoning means diversity and not by purposely so because you will learn some incredible things from people that are different than you and they can also learn from you and it it helps bridge the gap make safer communities happier people i'm a testament to that i purposely bring people together um because it can and not it cannot not only be harmonious once you get to know each other, but it just, it just makes you realize that we're more the same than we are different. So that's what I really want to highlight. The next thing is, of course, support BBE because the more people I can help, the safer our cities are. We've taken people from stealing cars downtown to now they're owning businesses and their, their product is in stores. They've changed their lives completely. But I can't do that with everybody without everybody's help. So we we always look for donors uh, to sponsor a business is forty dollars a month, forty dollars a month to sponsor a business, and that gives them a laptop. I'm actually I as we were talking, I I saw one of my members walk by to pick up a laptop. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, we give them a laptop. We file their LLC for free. We renew their LLC for free. We help them with logo, business card, branding, whatever they need. And if we don't have it, we we bother an ally to help us with mm-hmm. it. But we mm-hmm. don't, we most definitely don't take no for an answer from absolutely anyone. Cause we know in order to build in a build a thriving community, we need everybody's help. Mm-hmm. And just like when I was a flight attendant throwing all these very basic parties, but building this incredible community that is still together. I need everyone to help us thrive as a collective. 
so we can build a better world without it being a cliche because we believe we need to get better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of us. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, going back to just two things you said, I want to just out underscore for the listeners out there, take maybe one thing that Nancy just said and and we don't have to do all the things, but take one thing just for today and do it. So if it's look up a, a networking event in your community that, that, you know, encourages diversity or, or that's out of your comfort zone or that's a, in, involves like groups of people that you don't normally even go with, go sign up for that event. I've got an in-person networking event here in Minneapolis where I'm trying to do just that too, is bring a group, diverse group of women together. Come to my event. But in your community, wherever you're listening, see if there's somewhere that you can go and learn about someone else in some another community, formally, informally, or go to bbe.org, blackbusinessenterprises.org and sign up and contribute $40 a month to sponsor a business owner. And in, in your own life, I liked also in just in the day-to-day, like figure out ways to just not take no for an answer, but figure out ways to just keep being persistent and scrappy and keep going. Even if you think like no one's listening, that's one thing I've learned in my business over the past couple of years. If you think no one's listening, there are eyes everywhere, eyes and ears everywhere. They may not be responding or DMing you or coming up to you real time, but people are listening and watching what you're doing. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to influence people with what you know. So share, share your knowledge with what you know and, and someone out there is listening. Yeah. And you may save a life or change a life. Uh, Whatever you know, somebody else probably will not know. There's still emerging communities that have nothing. So uh, just share your knowledge and share your face. We want to see your fabulous faces. So Holly, (laughs) thanks so much for having me today. This was fantastic. Thank you for being here today. I so appreciate you being here and sharing your story and your wisdom. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Are you curious if your business idea will actually work? Don't worry, I've got you. Your best business idea starts here at hollynoll.com slash free. Go to the link and download my free business action guide. In this guide, you'll map your skills and expertise to build a profitable business idea. You'll solidify an irresistible offer that turns contacts into clients. And you'll implement my step-by-step framework to quickly land your very first client. Thank you for joining me this week on the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I am truly grateful to you. For more information on today's episode and this podcast, visit hollynoll.com slash podcast where you can find links discussed in the shows and connect directly with my guests. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you enjoyed today's show, share your rating on iTunes. Or if you'd rather tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. And remember, check out my free business action guide at hollynoll.com slash free. Or for more business building tools, visit the consultant code on Instagram. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.